Welcome to this, the first episode of From What If to What Next. This episode was aired to subscribers two weeks ago. If you subscribe at www.patreon.com from what if to what next, for just the price of a cup of coffee a month, you'll get these episodes a full two weeks before they're made public and an exclusive subscribers-only podcast called The Ministry of Imagination, plus other treats such as my recent interview with David Holmgren and being part of the conversations that shape the questions we explore in these podcasts. Do subscribe and be part of the community that is enabling me to do this work. Thank you. And I hope you love this podcast. So welcome to this very first episode of From What If to What Next. I'm so excited to be sitting down doing this. I'm Rob Hopkins. You're so welcome. If you are listening to this, then you're most likely one of the wonderful people who subscribe via Patreon to support this endeavour for which I am immensely grateful. This is going to be a great journey. Welcome aboard. This con- the concept of this podcast is really straightforward. It's based on your what-if questions. A few days after this podcast, I'll put out through Patreon a call for your what-if questions. I'll do that fairly regularly as we go along. I'll then sift through them, find one or two that fire my curiosity, and then go and find the two very finest people to help me explore that question. Your questions will shape this show and make it what it is. I'll be posting one of these podcasts every other Monday at lunchtime. And on alternate Mondays, I'll post a shorter podcast exclusive to subscribers called The Ministry of Imagination. It has such a great jingle that I can't actually wait until the first one is released to play it to you, so here it is now. Welcome to The Ministry of Imagination. there'll be other goodies I'll post randomly too. In these dark, terrifying and weird, yet also sunlit and oddly delightful days of coronavirus, we need our imagination more than ever. So many things we were long told were impossible, all of a sudden don't seem quite so impossible. Yes, governments can move rapidly when they want to. Yes, communities are amazing and are there for each other when they need to be. Yes, life can go on without aeroplanes. Yes, our cities can be free from cars. On this podcast... Anything is possible, cynicism is forbidden, and imagination is our superpower. So, I've plucked one of my favourite what-if questions from the book What Is to What If. It's a question that was generated by the fabulous London National Park City Project. It is, what if birdsong drowned out the traffic? And to join me in this birdsong-filled glade to explore this question are my two first guests here at From What If to What Next, Sam Lee and Maya Rose Craig. 
Sam Lee is a musician, a singer, an activist, and so much more than I can capture here. He's one of the founders of Culture Declares Emergency. He was once nominated for the Mercury Prize. He's a passionate collector, reinterpreter, and writer of folk songs, and a brilliant curator and creator of highly memorable live events. Alongside his organisation, the Nest Collective, he's been breaking the boundaries between folk and contemporary music. His acclaimed latest album, Old Wow, includes, among other gems, a duet with the awesome Elizabeth. Elizabeth Fraser. He also has a deep love of birdsong. A couple of years ago he got a recording of endangered birdsong called Let Nature Sing to number 18 in the charts. His singing with nightingales events take groups of people into the woods to listen to nightingales sing while musicians then duet with the birds. Maya Rose Craig describes herself as a young naturalist, young ornithologist, young birder as well as young environmentalist, young conservationist, young activist and writer. Last year she became the youngest person to have seen half of the world's birds. She's the youngest person to be awarded an honorary doctorate by a British university. She also founded Black to Nature, which works to get more visible minority ethnic people engaged with nature. She lives near Bristol and, like Sam, has been very involved in Extinction Rebellion. And in February she shared a stage with Greta Thunberg when she visited Bristol. You're both very welcome. Thanks for having us, Rob. Yeah, no, this is really exciting. Good. Thank you. I'd like to invite you both, if you might close your eyes uh, and get comfortable. And you might like to do this at home too. And I'd like you to imagine that we are 10 years in the future. And thanks to the bold, brilliant activism of the intervening 10 years, the cascades of positive change that rippled through society and the rapid shifting of societal norms, we now live in a world where indeed birdsong is louder than what traffic noises remain. In 2020, such a world was unimaginable, but now here we are. Our cities are filled with birdsong. I wonder if you might each... Take us on an imaginary walk through that world. What do you see? What do you hear? What does it feel like? What stands out? How is daily life different to 10 years ago? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. And um, I think the first thing, particularly looking at... Uh, my, I'll start with my city and imagine this to London, which is where I actually live. And, and first I'd say that um, we're very lucky in London to have such a large number of green spaces... However, what I'd imagine is that the way we manage those green spaces is very different and they're not short cropped grass with, you know, single lone trees standing, but we have a diversity in habitats of wildflowers and scrub and brambles and blackthorn and a real messy environment that you can get lost in, even postcard sized spaces. And also that homes no longer paved driveways or graveled over that Everyone's front garden is a, is a haven for insects and left to go wild and all that tameness is suddenly dispensed of as being so last year and the, the sort of zeitgeist is to have your kind of rewilded front gardens. And from that comes the opportunity for so many different environments for different birds. People will be essentially living a sort of their, their spare time in service to creating these habitats and it's something that we all take great pride in and uh, once a year there'll be a Britain in birdsong bloom type competition and, and neighbourhoods will be voted as having the most prolific or diverse birdsong and get badges and roundabouts in cities will suddenly be sort of 
avian sanctuaries and, uh, and be dedicated to a particular species. One thing I absolutely love when cycling home late after a party at two, three o'clock in the morning, particularly in the winter, is when a black, big fat blackbird is singing on a, on a tree in the middle of the city late at night. I imagine that groups of people, after party revelers, will go and stand under those blackbird trees and, and just kind of have that sound bath, that opportunity to really adore. And, and certain neighbourhoods would have famous blackbirds that people would travel across town for um, to go and hang out and listen to that blackbird. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful, Sam. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Maya Rose? I feel like Sam summed it up, really. The idea of a place like a city or wherever that puts its appreciation for nature and biodiversity above anything. It is idyllic and it's this really beautiful imagined future. You know, like I'm very lucky. I live in the countryside and at the moment that is the reality and I think for me, the idea of people waking up in the morning, birds being their alarm clock, just being surrounded by this very loud reminder of nature wherever they go is something that's very striking. Like pe people don't really realise it, but it's the perfect way for us to live as well, surrounded by nature. Thank you. Thank you so much, both of you. And uh, much, much of what you described would, until about four weeks ago, have sounded naive and idealistic. But after a few weeks of lockdown, as birds return to our cities, it suddenly feels a lot more possible. I wonder if you have any reflections on how this strange time of the coronavirus has altered our relationship to birdsong. What have you noticed? Well, everything to do with quarantine and lockdown has really strengthened everyone's appreciation of nature and the natural world in a sort of you don't realise what you have until it's gone um, situation where, you know, a lot of people, especially in the cities, don't have any access to natural spaces anymore because all the parks are shut. It suddenly becomes something that you really sorely miss. I think a really positive outcome of all of this could just be people remembering that appreciation of nature and remembering how important it felt to them while they were locked away in their homes and carrying that through with them into, yeah, their attitudes towards nature and the environment, how they interact with the natural world, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam? I do think this has been uh, concocted by laboratories funded by the uh, RSPB and BTO for sure because it's, um, it's worked wonderfully in their favour, I like to think, and, uh, and everyone's favour in terms of actually the quietening down and um, we're hearing more and more birdsong. No, we're not hearing more of it with birdsongs. Birds are hearing more of it. That's the most important thing and birds are able to start to um, step out of their usual restricted hidden away territory and embrace the the environments and the, the bits of the the, the streets and um, the urban spaces that they would never usually have been allowed to I'm, the only time i remember anything like this was during the extinction rebellion uh, a year ago yeah. in, in april yeah. do you remember that when that when um hyde park suddenly had bird songs again <laughs> no it was amazing and i think just the whole experience of being you know, slap bang in the middle of London on, um, like I was at Marble Arch in one of the busiest junctions in the city um, and there being no traffic around you and there being 
like you said, the blackbirds up on the hedges and the posts like singing at you till 11 o'clock at night and it just being silent except that it really was like a magical experience. Fantastic. And so Sam, why does birdsong affect us so much? I, I always lament that I'm not the expert in this, but there are a few things I can add to this. Uh, there's so much research in terms of the uh, the well-being given by the sound of birds, the the calming effect, the effect on mental health, on patients in hospitals. It it feels like it's always such a revelation. My God, bird song is good for your health. It makes you feel better, and um, everyone's happier. But it's kind of it's kind of an absurd thing to think, really, that we've spent the 300,000 years evolving as a species utterly entwined with birdsong, right from, you know, our proto-ancestral origins as apes, you know, hanging around Kalahari waterholes and things like that. And the, that we've, we've always been around birds. And where there are birds, there are insects. And where there are insects, there's vegetation and grasses and plants to sustain the sort of creatures that we lived off. So birds are an indicator of wealth and prosperity and have been messengers and teachers of the environment. Many cultures still to this day have great association, language connection with birds or or symbiotic partnerships. So we've evolved to depend upon birds. Our language and our songs have been utterly influenced by them. So to suddenly have them taken away can only have detrimental effect and I'm amazed we survived as sane as we are to this day having blocked as much birdsong out of our lives as we possibly could through double glazing and and tree cutting etc etc. Thank you and and Maya Rose what's your sense of that? So I've got a very, very aggressive blackbird that's just outside my window that's constantly defending its territory and it makes me really happy just to watch it um, getting into all these fights and shouting at the top of its lungs at the top of the hedge because I guess that's my little snapshot into the natural world and yeah, I, I think it's really special and it almost feels like yeah, birds are sharing something with us or giving something to us. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Sam, when you as a musician try to, uh, with other musicians, try to accompany nightingales uh, and other birds, how is that experience? As a musician, what do birds have to teach you? Oh, so much. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I will confess that I'm not a trained or technical musician. I don't understand... Uh, musical scales or modes or any of that but um, what I do understand is a little bit about the the emotional responses to what's around us and how as a singer because I'm a singer really how one works with the qualities of silence of space of volume and decoration and birds although working on completely non-human sorts of uh, and modern human sorts of scales I'm so aware, particularly with nightingales, that they are employing some of the techniques that any great musician and skilled craftsman within music is working, is honouring. I often talk of the, the nightingale as the great decorators of silence and their use of the negative space, the silence of the night, and how they improvise around and constantly changing their tune. The bird with a thousand voices. And they, um, they really do make an extraordinary sort of journey and set of phrases that feels very human. When we're playing with them, 
I treat them as the musical leader, trying to be influenced in my way of singing and the musician's way of playing to incorporate that, those gestures, those breaths, all those, those sorts of qualities. It's like music lessons, really. Maya, Rose, can you tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about Black to Nature uh, and why this what-if question necessitates a wider conversation about why access to birdsong is not at present equal across our society and how would you identify the main obstacles to refilling our lives with birdsong? Yeah, so Black to Nature is essentially an organisation that's all about giving a diverse range of people the opportunity to access nature quite often for the first time. A lot of what we do is these camps every summer that are either for primary or secondary age kids. We go camping for a weekend in the countryside and do nature-based activities with these kids who are usually, you know, from the inner city and usually BME or visually minority ethnic. Yeah, we give them the opportunity to just really connect with nature and learn to love nature. I think it's so important what we do for loads of different reasons because it's really important for the kids in terms of like we were talking about mental health and physical health as well. It's quite easy to forget because we're humans, but we're animals too and it's not very good for us essentially to be as separated from nature as lots of people are but it's also really important in terms of you know environmentalism and helping to look after the natural world because it comes down to the very basic question of why would people care about trying to save the environment and look after wildlife if they've never experienced it or interacted with it. And can you share any stories from your own experience of how you've seen an increased exposure to birdsong increase people's imaginations, their sense of what's possible in the world? Yeah, um, so I remember the very first camp we ever ran. Um, We got five boys from inner city Bristol and to be honest, they did not want to be there. Like They did not want to be spending their weekend on the Somerset levels birdwatching. Um, and they were a little bit grumpy, a little bit angsty at the start of the weekend. But they all sort of one by one appreciate and enjoy being outside, I suppose. And it was really nice finding out the different activities for each of them that really interested them and the different ways that they did engage with nature. Like that, I remember there was one boy called Monnier. He just didn't really want to be doing things. He just wanted to hang out with his friends and go on his phone. But then we went to look at the mammal traps to see if we could take a look at any mice. And, you know, we didn't even see any, but he was just so excited at the prospect of being that close to real, like wild wildlife, because he just never ever experienced that before. So we later did um, bird ringing with him so that he could hold these wild birds. It was amazing, just like the look in his eye, holding these wild animals. Like he was so excited and so happy. And it was, it was just really nice. Beautiful. Thank you. Sam, do you have any stories from your experience of how you've seen spending more time with birdsong has helped people's imaginations and increased their creativity? Indeed. I, I, I firstly just want to say, I, I, I think, I think the, 
Black to Nature project is really incredible and so vital and I just want to congratulate you on the work you're doing. Um, it's, I've been loved watching your progress over the last few years. Um, and it really, and, and the thing is, is that not only is it working with communities, uh, BAME communities who has, have such little access, but it's also starting with young people, which is what it's really all about. It's about educating, inspiring, re-enchanting the younger generations who are going to inherit whatever comes. So that's where so much of our resources need and energy needs to be put. The events that I run are far more for adults, so we do do a family Nightingales project and there's a, there's a huge range of emotions that emerge out of the experiences. Interestingly, although they are for adults, they are about trying to bring a sense of childlike wonder and discovery to adults and the great thing about the nightingales work is that it, they happen at night around the fire um, we walk in the dark without torches and create a set of scenarios we do it all in silence when we do the walk to the nightingales that really pushes grown adults out of their comfort zones ones who've never walked at night without torches and haven't sat around campfires in years and are real testers of their confidence and their um, their physical ability and and what comes out of that pressing on people's insecurities and fears is the reward of, of an experience that opens up and, and questions their their you know their 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 buttons or their sensitivities and we get really incredible reactions and and it's so wonderful feeling that sense of revelation and opening of both hope for the environment but also grief a lot of grief that comes up for people it's been happening during lockdown on the live ones and also a, a sense of calmness and feeling that there is a way of us having connections with nature that aren't aren't compromised by fences and private property here and no here and can't go there and can't do this and can't do that it's a way of having a relationship that's beyond that sense of the permissible um, and I think that's, that takes us back to being when we're kids and, and that sense of freedom when we're unaware of all the rules and we're just simply playing. It's, very, it's all about having playfulness and that place to explore what our limits are. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so the, the last question I had was what recommendations you might have for listeners who would like to bring more birdsong into their lives? Where should they start? Sam? The, the really good thing to do is is to start to learn some of the songs and what the birds are and I, I, I you know there's many arguments about this idea of the naming and you know if you know the name you know the bird but actually if you get familiar with the song just start with the, you know a popular six of robins blackbirds thrushes skylarks swifts and then story for me it's all about story learning a little bit about the life and the story and not necessarily the technical but but also about finding ways of you connecting those birds when you do hear them in real life with where you're at and, and creating an emotional connection with them and it's about giving yourself time to listen and be slow around birds and really let them in is a, is a great way of just starting to forge a, a, a stronger relationship and awareness and friendship with the bird befriending them it's as simple as that treating them like our our brothers and sisters beautiful thank you i did a i did a, a dawn chorus walk a couple of years ago where 
the guy who was leading it said that something like 90% of the birds that you hear generally in the dawn chorus are blackbirds. So I could recognise them. So I thought, well, I've got a sort of 90% chance of naming the birds right. And I'll kind of build out from that. Um, Maya Rose, what's your sense of, of, of how people, any recommendations for how people might bring more birdsong into their lives? I guess I just say that now is the best time to start trying to forge that connection with nature or strengthen it because we have time and the birds are really you know they're undisturbed they're out and about and it's breeding season so they're all especially the blackbirds ready to sing as loud as they possibly can if you really just go to any green space and just stop and listen and look there'll be so many more birds than you would have ever imagined in such a small space. All you need is the the desire to connect with nature and listen to the birds in the first place, and they'll be there when you go and look for them. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, our next podcast, which will be posted in two weeks, will ask the question, what if a universal basic income were the tool to unleash the collective imagination? But before we go, just if you both had any closing words or closing thoughts? Despite everything, or maybe because of everything, just make sure that you do maintain that connection with birds and with nature, because it's so important for your well-being and who you are as a human being, really. Yeah, I... I, I'll, I'll carry on on that that theme of, of deepening connection. You know, it's an amazing at the moment. Everybody who's got time on their hands is doing online courses and learning and taking on new languages and skills and things. And, and actually, the 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 connection with nature is not something that just comes naturally. It's an inherited set of skills and wisdom and a, a sense sensory openings. And that there are so many wonderful ways of being guided in that um and it's really brilliant that and I, I feel that people shouldn't always feel like you've just got to go out there and appreciate it come on man appreciate the nature you know love it more uh, and actually that's that's really hard because it's an alien space so i think in ways that we can uh be supported in that and and stewarded in, in our deepening affection and taking podcasts and using it as a space that we can go to learn and become more comfortable that's a really important thing and people shouldn't feel like they've just got to go out there and understand it it will never understand the complexity of nature it's a journey that our lifetime should be constantly dedicated to well not for everyone but in terms of you know like like a lover always getting to know them as we grow old and in accordance with them wonderful So my deepest thanks to Sam and to my Rose, to Ben Adicott for theme music and production and see you in a fortnight. Watch out for the invitation via Patreon for you to share your what-if questions. Mm-hmm.